President Trump announces plans to deport millions of illegal aliens as soon as next week. Does he have the political cojones to follow through? We will see. As Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez compares illegal immigration to the Holocaust, a new poll shows she is immensely unpopular in her own district. We'll see how those numbers hold up. Finally, the Washington Post examines the real reason that white America turned on O.J. Simpson. Spoiler alert, it's because he murdered his ex-wife and her friend. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. I know sometimes when it's a slow news cycle, these Washington Post writers need to try to rehash old think pieces. But when you are scratching the bottom of the barrel of why did white America turn on OJ, you have really run out of things to say. <laughs> I think, uh, I, look, I, I don't know. I'm not sure of many things in this world, but I'm pretty sure why white America, black America, all of America turned on OJ Simpson. And it's because he murdered his wife. Uh, we'll get to the big political news today, but first let me tell you why I look and feel so good. Every day I've got a spring in my step. I am hopping around so joyfully. And the reason for that is purple mattress, purple mattress. You know how much I, I don't need to tell you again. It is the greatest bed I have ever slept on. I kid you not. I, I wake up in the morning and I just lie there and I'm scrolling through the news, reading all the newspapers. I don't get out of my bed in the morning for probably half an hour because I love my purple so much. It feels like no other bed you've ever slept on. It's not like an inner spring. It's not like a memory foam. It's this new technology that is firm and soft at the same time. How is that possible? Just try it. I, I don't know how to explain it to you. It sleeps cool, which is very very important in the summer. So you don't wake up all sweaty. You know, for me, I'm of Sicilian descent. I'm a little bit of an oily fella. And uh, so it's very nice to be able to sleep cool at night. It, it's an amazing bed. It is so great. I recommend it to all of my friends and I can't ever foresee sleeping in another bed. This is, and I loved Inner Springs. I was a big fan of those. This is way, way better. 100 night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, return your mattress for a full refund. Backed by a 10 year warranty, free shipping and returns, free in-home setup and old mattress removal. You will love purple. Right now, my listeners get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. And these are nice pillows. That's in addition to great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Check the way to get this is to text Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 84888. K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. President Trump, big announcement uh, today. He said that he is going to deport millions of people. This is the tweet, quote, next week, ICE will begin the process of removing the millions of illegal aliens who have illicitly found their way into the United States. They will be removed as fast as they come in. This is a bold claim. We have probably at least 11 million illegal aliens in the country. Some estimates put that number higher. It could be 12 million, 13 million, even higher than that. President Trump says starting as soon as next week, he's going to just deport millions of people. That's his word, millions. Now, it's a little confusing in the way he says it. He says, on the one hand, we're going to remove millions of illegal aliens who've come into this country illegally. On the other hand, he says they will be removed as fast as they come in. So is he only going to, he's going to be removing the ones that come in? We're getting 3,000 illegal aliens a day coming in. Or is he going to remove the 11 million that we already have here? Or is he going to do both? Hopefully he's doing both, but, but I mean, it can't, it can't simultaneously be both, right? He can't remove them as fast as they come in and remove the 11 million that we've got. If you know, other, it's sort of like when you've, 
when you're trying to pay down principal, right? You can either, if you have a loan or something, you can either service the loan and pay the, the fees on the loan, or you can pay down the actual principal that you owe. If, you, if you're only deporting in the numbers as people come into the country, you're not actually dealing with the 11 million that you already have there. The other question is, can he actually do it? How, how is he supposed to deport 11 million people? I have a lot of sympathy for President Trump here because he said he was going to deport all of these people and then he gets into office and he hasn't been successful at that. How's he supposed to do it? How do you get rid of 11 million people in a country? I mean, in a country of 300 million people, that's a, actually a significant portion of people. How's he supposed to do it? And then there's the political question, which is, do Americans even want mass deportation? Maybe they talk a good game. Maybe they elect a president who says he's going to deport 11 million people. Do they actually want it? Do they actually want to see people being carted out of their houses? You know, everyone, everyone wants to deport the illegal alien in the other town. Nobody wants to deport the illegal alien that you know, that you're friends with. Nobody wants to deport the guy doing your lawn or the guy or the, or the lady taking care of your kids, right? It's sort of the same thing with Congress. Everyone hates Congress, but they tend to like their own congressman. So they say, go throw all the bums out except for my congressman. And then nobody gets thrown out of Congress. So I'm a little skeptical. We'll analyze the political implications of that. This announcement itself from President Trump came just hours after the State Department announced that the U.S. was going to be cutting aid to the biggest offender countries for sending illegal aliens to, to the United States. So three countries in Central America are going to see their aid cut. Earlier, it was announced that there would be a 600 $15 million cut in aid to Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Significant money for basically failed states. They've now eased that. So now they've walked that back to about $432 million. Again, this is not, I think some of Trump's critics are going to try to portray this as as weakening or walking it back. But President Trump has bragged for 30 years about how he always starts out asking for 99% and he's willing to settle for 50. He just starts out at some outrageous number and then he walks it back. So that I I think is perfectly in keeping. And we've seen already with the uh, trade deal in Mexico that Trump has been pretty successful at getting uh, concessions out of the people who are sending illegal aliens to this country. So I I hope, hope that works. I mean, that's all good news. However, I just can't get too excited about this. President Trump says, we're going to do it. We're finally going to get serious about illegal immigration. It seems to me I've heard that song before. I mean, President Trump has a major credibility problem on his hands. And I say this as someone who really wants him to be successful. He has got to deliver on the immigration promises. He's got to do it. I mean, he's got to do it because it was a central pillar of his campaign. He's got to do it if he wants re-election. President Trump can honestly say right now that he has fulfilled more promises than any president in recent history, if not ever. I mean, he has been very good at fulfilling promises. Great economy, record low joblessness. He's he's renegotiated trade deals. People said he wouldn't be able to do that. He's gotten concessions out of our our trading partners. Uh, He's he's got relative peace abroad. He ran as an anti-war candidate. There have been moments when he could have intervened in Venezuela or Iran right now or other places, and he has consistently refused to do that. He's managed a very dangerous situation in North Korea pretty well. He's 
moved our embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. This has been a policy priority of the United States for multiple administrations. He's the first one to actually do it. He's the first one to fulfill that promise. He has given us some good judges and justices, apparently originalist justices. The jury is still out a little bit on Kavanaugh, but Gorsuch seems quite good. Um, he's given us a lot of other great federal judges. I mean, he's done a lot. I don't mean to belittle what he's actually accomplished, but a central feature of his 2016 campaign was dealing with illegal immigration. That, that may have been the central feature, either jobs or, or illegal immigration. And he hasn't succeeded there. He hasn't gotten illegal immigration under control. We have 3,000 people a day coming into this country illegally. Now, what, what Trump can say to that is, right, they're coming into this country illegally because the economy is doing so well. They weren't coming under, into this country in those numbers under Obama because the Obama economy was terrible. Right, that's true. I guess on the question of immigration, Trump is a victim of his own economic success. You've got to account for that. I mean, if you're campaigning on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix the economy. The economy is going to go gangbusters. We're going to have record low joblessness and we're going to take care of illegal immigration. Then you've obviously got to factor in the economy to your immigration promises. So the economy is going great. You've got all of these economic migrants who are pretending to be asylum seekers flooding into this country. You've got to deal with that. And I, I actually think he can do it. I'm not pessimistic about this. I think he can deal with illegal immigration. I don't think he's going to deport 11 million illegal aliens next week, but he can do it. He made a great first step with that Mexico trade deal. Everyone said, there's no way you're going to get concessions out of Mexico. There's no way that tariff threats are going to work. Tariffs are always a terrible idea. Tariffs have no credibility. Tariffs will never work. Guess what? They did. And Mexico agreed to multiple concessions, as well as deploying 6,000 National Guard troops to their southern border to deal with illegal immigration. They also agreed in that deal to keep asylum seekers on their side of the border, rather than having them come into the United States to just pal around here and run away from the judge and never be seen or heard from again. That was a good first step. But 3,000 illegal aliens a day. We don't have very much wall built. We were supposed to get a big, beautiful wall. We don't have one yet. We don't have any real solution in sight. Let's say we get 500 miles of border wall this year. That would be great. Is that what we were promised for the first term of the Trump administration? Not quite. He's got to start deporting illegal aliens, but this is going to be a political nightmare because I'm pretty certain that no one actually wants to see mass deportation. We all think we do. We all want to fix the illegal immigration problem. We don't want there to be illegal aliens in the country. We don't want illegal aliens to keep coming into the country, but we don't want to see mass deportation. We don't want to see it in practice because it's ugly. The problem of illegal immigration is ugly. It brings crime. It brings drugs. It creates whole hosts of problems for the government, for taxpayers, for our social services, for our culture, because people aren't assimilating. They're not learning English. They're not coming into the culture. We are, for some reason, assimilating to illegal aliens at the encouragement of the cultural left and the Democratic Party. I mean, the problem of illegal immigration is very ugly as well. And an ugly problem is going to require an ugly solution. And, and I, I don't think we have the political stamina for that. So how can Trump do it? One way, probably the only way, is to focus on criminal aliens. 
I guess all of them are criminals, right? They're, they're quite literally criminals. They broke the law to come here. But the ones who have the face tattoos, the ones who are in gangs, the ones committing violence, rape, murder, burglary, really bad hombres to use the president's term. Those are the ones you've got to focus on. And you can focus on them as a matter of policy, but even more importantly than the matter of policy, those are the ones you've got to focus on as a matter of messaging. And this is why President Trump needs a really, really good press secretary. I say in a leading way. I say, no, no there's no, I mean, t- take, take that how you will. I'm not, suge- it would be really good if you got like a, I don't know, a young, maybe 29 year old Italian looking. I don't know. I'm, he needs a good press secretary is what I'm saying. It's sort of a shame that Sarah Sanders is leaving right now because she is a tremendously talented press secretary. If President Trump actually implements this policy of significantly ramping up deportations, you need a press secretary who's able to go out there every single day and say, look at this face. Look at this criminal with face tattoos, who's got blood in his teeth, who's, you know, chewing on human flesh, who's just like the worst guy that you've ever seen. You've got to make that the face of illegal immigration. Because what the left is going to do, what the left is already doing, is making some little child in a cage the face of illegal immigration. Never mind that the photos of children in cages come from 2014. They come from the Obama administration. Doesn't matter. This is, this is not actually about the policies. The left doesn't care about the children in cages or what, whatever happened. If they cared, they would have raised a ruckus about it during the Obama administration. What this is about is the issue of illegal immigration. The left wants open borders. They want to flood this country with people who, will, who are more likely to support them politically and who over successive generations are all but certain to support them politically. This is just what the data and the statistics show. They want to do that. They want to radically change American culture. They want to fundamentally transform the country, as Barack Obama said. And what the right wants to do is maintain the integrity of our nation and say a nation has borders and a nation has laws and we should enforce our laws because that's how we govern ourselves through our democratically elected representatives. That's, that's the debate that's happening now. And the way that debate is going to be waged is a picture of a little kid in a cage and a picture of some face tattooed, scary, wacko, rapist, murderer, gangster. That is going to be the battle. President Trump has got to focus on that. There are two schools of thought on why Donald Trump won. One school says he won only because of attitude, not because of policy. One school of thought says he won despite his attitude, despite his personality flaws, because specifically of his policy. And only one of those views is correct. We'll explain which in a second. But first, it's 2019 and everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. I love this new sponsor because this new sponsor has the solution for wireless earbuds. Before you go and drop hundreds of dollars on a pair that are very, very overpriced, I think you know what I'm talking about, you need to go check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing. This is the problem with wireless earbuds, is you have the really cheapo, awful ones that don't have any battery and they break in two seconds, and then you have the very high-end ones that are extraordinarily overpriced. And there's never been anything in the middle that gives you that same great quality for a more reasonable price. Now Raycon does that. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Brandy and J.R. Smith. You know, I'm listening to them all the time. 
they, they already, uh, th- those, those celebrities are already obsessed. Randy and J.R. Smith, they love it. Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. I mean, they are super comfortable, more comfortable than a lot of others. They're very easy to take anywhere. Unlike some other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet. So they're not dangling with stems or wires. They look really cool and they don't just look great. They sound great too. I love them. I'm now giving them out as gifts. You should get them too. Go to buyraycon.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S to get 20% off your order right now. That is buyraycon, B-U-Y, R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash Knowles. Get 20% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. You are not going to get a better deal than 20% off. This is the best deal they're offering. One more time, buyraycon.com slash Knowles. So there are two schools of thought on President Trump. The one school of thought is policy doesn't matter. His voters don't care about policy. They just like that he's tough and he talks mean and he's cruel and he, uh, you know, he's just got that look to him. The other school of thought is, yeah, maybe people get a kick out of Trump's personality. He's a good showman, but actually they don't care about that. They care that he's offering a different set of policies and a different set of experiences than other politicians have in the past. So all of the, all of the elite kind of conservative types, the establishment types, the conservative capital C trademark over the IV, those guys all say that it's because of Trump's flaws that people like him because he's cruel, because he's mean, because he's crass. That's what they like about him. Ann Coulter wrote an entire book about how that is not true. And actually the reason people like him is because he, unlike every other candidate in, on the Republican side in 2016, offered different policy solutions. He didn't just regurgitate the same talking points from 1983. He said, no, we actually have to look at the effect of globalization on the American worker. We actually have to look at our trade policies. We have to look at if we're surrendering national sovereignty to these massive international supranational organizations and trade unions. We need to re-examine that because we have different problems in 2019. We need to look at immigration. You know, the Chamber of Commerce, Wall Street Journal, establishment, Republican idea of unfettered open borders and immigration. That isn't helping America. That is actually hurting America. And we're going to change that. And I think that's what people resonated with. You know, the elite people tell me, and I, look, I, I aspire to be an elite person. I love luxurious things. I wear a smoking jacket when I go on the backstage show. But the people who are the self-styled elites, the ones who consider themselves better than the rest of America. I think a lot of them look down on the motivations that, that cause some people to vote for Trump. They say, oh yeah, they, they voted for Trump because they want revenge. They want to get back at people. They're really angry. That's, it's irrational. It's emotional. I don't think that's it. The, the people that I talk to who voted for Trump more often than not tell me they like Trump in spite of certain personality flaws. They wish he didn't say this all the time. They wish he wasn't tweeting like this all the time. They just like what he does and they like what he says that he will do. And that's perfectly reasonable. The question is, can he do what he says he's going to do on this central campaign issue? I really hope he can. I mean, I think the guy is a brilliant politician. I think he's got brilliant political chops. He's been very effective. And I think he fears and knows that if he doesn't get serious on immigration, he's not going to win in 2020. Is there enough time? I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. We'll have to see if uh, Trump can harness 
this massive Leviathan, this ship of the United States federal government and, and use it to actually fulfill that promise of deportations and getting serious on the border. Because time is running out. We're about a year and a half, less than a year and a half away from the 2020 election. And by the way, the left is going to be keeping up very hard on this issue. They're going to be going at this issue incredibly hard as well. The uh, future of the Democrat party, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, so dubbed by the chairman of the Democrat party, Tom Perez, she has come out and compared the Trump administration's current immigration policy to the Holocaust. Here is the poor benighted congresswoman from New York's 14th congressional district. The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border. And that is exactly what they are. They are concentration camps. And um, if that doesn't bother you, I don't, I got, I like, we can have, okay, whatever. I want to talk to the people that are concerned enough with humanity to say that we should not, that never again means something. She's so articulate. I have so many points to begin with. Uh, first of all, I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt because one, one thing she is saying now, she's saying, people are saying I'm comparing the illegal immigration centers to the Holocaust. I'm not. There's a difference between a concentration camp and a death camp. And these concentration camps are where they hold people against their will. And death camps are what you saw in the Holocaust. And I was not invoking the Holocaust. And I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt, but I can't because she specifically invoked the Holocaust. There at the end, she made a specific reference. She said, we're talking about never again. If never again means something, never again is a phrase that refers explicitly, directly to the Holocaust. So she is drawing that comparison to the Holocaust. And obviously there's no comparison whatsoever. I'll, I'll get to the point she's trying to make in a second and why it's completely wrong. But I, I want to point something out. She's obviously very inarticulate. She doesn't know how to complete a sentence. She doesn't know how to complete a train of thought. She doesn't know how to make an argument. She says, if you disagree with me, then I'll, I'll, I, 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 I can't even, I don't know. And then she goes on to something else. And people make fun of her for this. And they say that it shows that she's not very intelligent. And probably that's true. But she's mastered this craft. She's mastered the art of speaking in this way. Because if she were at a podium giving that speech, she would look like a complete idiot. I mean, she wouldn't even be able to fool her own base. So how does she give this speech? She does it from her couch wearing her pajamas with blankets all around her on Instagram, sitting in Indian position with her legs crossed. And it's so casual that she can get away with speaking casually. The trouble for AOC is she's not capable of speaking in an elevated way or an articulate way or in any sort of soaring rhetoric. She can't do that. That's why she does these Instagram things because she's very good at this. We all speak casually. When we speak to each other at a bar or something, we start a sentence and then before, well, actually we'll talk about this and then we move on here and we we use words flippantly and we use lower, baser language. And when we're giving a speech, giving the State of the Union, we give more elevated language. Even on this 
this kind of medium. When we're talking about podcasts, podcasts are a very conversational medium. The way you talk in a podcast or a podcast interview is totally different than the way you would speak if you were testifying before Congress or if you were at your confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court. Even that, you, you adjust for the medium. And I think people have focused on AOC using Instagram and Twitter because she's young, she's hip, she's with the youth. I don't think that's quite it. I mean, I guess she is. She is young. The reason she does it is because that's the only level of discourse that she's capable of. And so rather than try to elevate herself and be something that she's going to fail at, she brings all of the media that she uses down to her level, which is very conversational and immature and childish. You remember one of her first major interviews was with Margaret Hoover on the new, new version of Firing Line. And it was where she said, ha ha, I'm, I'm not the expert. I don't know. Uh, and she looked like a total fool and people made fun of her for it. And then Ali Stuckey did that video where she parodied the interview. That was because AOC was trying to do a more serious long form interview and she, she can't do it. So now she focuses all of her attention on social media, small, casual, because it excuses the way that she speaks. And even if she says something crazy, like compares U.S. immigration policy to the Holocaust, even if she does that, she's not really held to account for it because, you know, it's just the way you talk in your living room. You know, sometimes people say things that aren't true or that they come off wrong. So I actually think that strategy is pretty brilliant, especially for someone who is as intellectually and rhetorically limited as AOC, the future of the Democrat Party. Now, as for what she's actually saying, She's comparing illegal immigration centers to Japanese internment camps. First of all, they're not being held at a Japanese internment camp. Not really. What she's implying is that we've got these concentration camps that are being used for illegal aliens. Actually, they're being held at an army base. They're being held at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. This is not some specific concentration camp built for illegal aliens. This, this is already an army base. It was used during the Second World War to intern Japanese Americans. Why are the illegal aliens going to Oklahoma? They're headed there because we can't keep all of them at the southern border. You've got these, these aren't illegal aliens that have lived in the country for 20 years. These are people who are currently pouring over right now since Donald Trump was elected. And we can't keep them all in Arizona and Texas and California. It's totally unfair to those border towns and those border states. Illegal immigration is a federal problem. It's a national problem. They're not entering because they just happen to love California. They're entering to get into the United States because to be an American citizen or to have a family member who's an American citizen is the greatest political privilege that the world has ever known. So illegal immigration is a federal problem. We already know that. That's why we have federal agencies to deal with it. And so they're finding a federal solution and spreading out some of the illegal aliens throughout the country, including now in Oklahoma, rather than to just a handful of border states. Now, this army base was used by FDR to intern Japanese Americans. Not illegal alien Japanese people, but actual Japanese Americans. And the Japanese Americans were Americans. Let's see what AOC thinks about that and our values. This is a crisis for ourselves. This is a crisis on if America will remain America uh, in its actual principles and values, or if we are losing to an authoritarian and fascist presidency. 
she contradicts herself and no one's called her out for contradicting herself. She obviously is completely unaware that she contradicts herself. She says that these concentration camps, which by which she really means just centers where you're holding illegal aliens, are fascist. Here she is. You know, I don't use those words lightly. I don't use those words to just throw bombs. Um, I use that word because that is what an administration that creates concentration camps is. Um, a presidency that creates concentration camps is fascist. It's fascist. Okay. A, a presidency that uses concentration camps is fascist. So let's just follow that logic. She's calling FDR a fascist because Trump is holding illegal aliens in the same place that FDR held Japanese Americans. And that place is a concentration camp, according to AOC. So presidents that do this are fascists. So FDR is a fascist. So AOC probably hates FDR, right? Isn't that right? We talk about what I want in a 2020 candidate. I want a 2020 candidate that says we can do these things. We can be audacious. I think we need, in order to overcome this moment, we need to return to our FDR roots as a party. That's what I believe. So FDR is a fascist. And I don't use that word lightly. He's really, really a fascist because of all the fascist things he did. And therefore we need to return to our FDR policies. And Donald Trump is just like FDR. So I guess AOC is now endorsing FDR or Donald Trump rather and FDR, something like that. Is that right? Did AOC just endorse Donald Trump? I don't think so. She has no coherence to her thought. And now I'm starting to talk like her. She has no coherence to her thought. She's not following ideas to their logical conclusions. She's just saying slogans. And this is what leftist politics have devolved down to. And new polls are showing this is not looking very good for her. We will analyze them in a second. But first, I have got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Before that, I've got great news. We are taking our backstage live show on the road, August 21st, to ter the Terrace Theater in Long Beach, California. That is right. Ben Shapiro, Daily Wire God King, Jeremy Boring, the Andrew Clavin, Lord of the Multiverse, and little old me will be live on stage discussing the winners and losers of politics and pop culture and doing our best to answer your burning questions from the audience. Tickets go on sale to the public this Friday, but only Daily Wire subscribers get pre-sale ticket access today. It's happening right now. It'll be on sale today through Thursday. Special access for subscribers. So subscribe right now. Get your tickets today and come join us for a fantastic event. It is going to be a ton of fun. Go over to dailywire.com. You know all the great stuff you get. We'll be right back with a lot more. So obviously, the, the AOC idea here that these are concentration camps on the order of Japanese internment or the Holocaust is ridiculous. The way you know it's ridiculous is they keep coming in, 3,000 of them a day. 3,000 Jews a day weren't pouring into Nazi Germany. 3,000 Japanese people a day weren't applying to become American citizens so that they could go to concentration camps. But people are pouring into this country every day because they're obviously not concentration camps. And on the question of concentration camps, what does AOC suggest we do? I mean, she, I'm assuming she would call uh, the prisons that you can hold illegal aliens in concentration camps. I'm assuming she would call the HHS facilities where younger illegal aliens are receiving care. She would call them concentration camps. She's using that phrase to convince you that 
Anything other than blanket amnesty and open borders is wicked, it's evil, it's like the Holocaust. What does AOC think should happen to illegal aliens who come here? If you come into this country illegally and you break the law and you shouldn't be here, the federal government has to do something with you. But she's saying it's immoral to deport people. She's saying it's immoral and Nazi-esque to hold people in custody. The only other option is to let them come in and have no consequences. And so we have no immigration law. The voters who voted in representatives to give them certain immigration laws, they can be damned. The people who have established this rule of law in the country, they can be damned. The people who waited in line from other countries, not just El Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras, but from countries in Africa or East Asia or South Asia, those people, they can be damned. Doesn't matter. They don't, they don't matter at all. All that matters is flooding the country with a very specific group of illegal aliens whose children are more likely to vote for Democrats. That's what AOC is saying. And if you disagree with that, you're a Nazi. And obviously this is horrifically offensive to descendants of, of, Hitler's victims and victims of the Holocaust. It's, it's horrifically offensive to half of AOC's countrymen, but she doesn't care. There's no coherence. If you, you know, as we just did, if you follow her ideas to their logical conclusion, they don't make any sense, but that doesn't matter. If she can whip up a fury and envy, uh, uh, a, a mass hatred and disdain for, from one half of the country to the other half of the country, she has achieved her goal. This might backfire. A new poll suggests people are sick of her. There's a poll in her district, New York's 14th Congressional District, shows her favorability rating is down to 21%. Just one in five people view her favorably. Her unfavorable rating is up to 51%. 11% of people in the district, according to this poll, believe she has their best interests in mind. Only 13% according to this poll, would vote to reelect her and 33% are committed to voting against her in 2020. So that's the bad news for AOC. The good news for AOC is I don't buy this survey at all. This is a door-to-door survey of registered voters conducted by a group called Stop the AOC Pack, which I, I admire their goals, but I just don't buy it. First of all, door-to-door survey is pretty weak. Uh, it's obviously a group that despises her and and would benefit from this kind of negative information being put out about her. Very often people use polls not to report what people are thinking, not to report on public opinion, but to shape public opinion. They're called push polls. You're pushing people to, or encouraging people in the wording of the questions to voice a certain opinion, then you're using that opinion broadly to influence the broader public's opinion. According to a more legitimate or more credible poll from April, the Siena polling, AOC's favorables are not 21%, they're 52% compared to 33% unfavorable. 61% of Democrats are willing to support her in 2020. This is already after the Amazon decision. So the least popular thing that she did, which was chasing Amazon and 25,000 high paying jobs out of her district and around her district, that's already being factored into that Siena poll from April. Do we really think that in two months, her numbers have just completely cratered by more than 50%. I don't think so. New York's congressional, uh, 14th congressional district is extraordinarily Democrat. It's a D plus 29 district. It has six Democrats for every one Republican. The only time in the last century that it went Republican was in 1946. Probably she's safe on the right. Probably. I don't know. I mean, she is uniquely unpopular and she's made herself uniquely a national figure. 
So maybe some Republican campaign could, could do something. Who knows? Never say never in politics. She's also very vulnerable from the left. If, if a Democrat wanted to primary her, I think that Democrat would be very successful. So that's a poll that I think is not very credible and probably doesn't matter. Now let's turn to a poll that I think is more credible and does matter. I'm very skeptical of presidential polls this far out, specifically national polls. However, uh, the state polls are a lot better because they're more specific. They have more of a bearing on the actual presidential election. Presidents aren't elected by a popular vote, no matter how much Hillary Clinton is in a straight jacket in the woods of Chappaqua seems to insist that they are. The presidential elections are decided by states, by the Electoral College. A new poll out spells a lot of trouble for Joe Biden. This is a firehouse optimist poll, shows Donald Trump is surging in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin battleground states and cutting into Biden's lead in uh, Michigan. There's a statistical dead heat in Michigan. So Biden had an eight-point lead in March in Pennsylvania. Now that has dropped to just a one-point lead, so statistically a tie. Biden had a 12-point lead in March in Wisconsin. That has dropped down to a six-point lead. So he's still got a lead, but not by a lot. He's lost 50% of that lead. And in March, Trump and Biden were tied in, uh, in Michigan, and now they are statistically still tied. I, the poll puts Biden up at three points, but statistically speaking, there's really little difference. Now, I don't care about this poll for the general election, that we are so far away from the general election that I don't think these polls really matter now. What this does matter for is the Democrat primary, because Joe Biden's only claim to getting that nomination is that he can beat Donald Trump in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. That's the only reason that Democrat voters have to nominate him. He is old. He is white. He is male. He is relatively moderate in a leftist party. He is a gaffe prone. He is a two-time loser. He is an admitted plagiarist. He's an admitted liar, a frequent liar, and he's a creepy hair sniffer. There is no reason for Democrats to nominate yesterday's news or 30 years ago's news. The guy's been in office for like 50 years. What has he accomplished? Very little. The one thing he's accomplished was the 1994 crime bill, and the Democrats absolutely hate that. So, why nominate him? They can nominate him because he can beat Donald Trump, except if he can't beat Donald Trump, there's no reason. He's already slipping. He's already slipping before the first Democrat debate. That's really bad news, and Joe should be very, very worried right now. We should also, all of us, be worried because O.J. Simpson is loose. The juice is loose, and he is taking Twitter by storm. Uh, O.J. has got some scores to settle, and here is how he describes it. Hello, Twitter world. This is uh, yours truly. You know, this is my first venture into the social media world, and uh, it's amazing, <laughs> you know, especially how quickly they can put up counterfeit sites. Anyway, we'll deal with that. We'll deal with that? The hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> uh, when O.J. Simpson says we'll deal with something, that's, uh, that's very scary. He's very upset because... Obviously, whenever anybody goes on Twitter, there are like a million fake Twitter accounts that pop up. So some of them are very charming. I don't know if you've been following me or the other Daily Wire guys on Twitter, but there's a Twitter account for my pet goldfish. There's a Twitter account, I think, for my glasses. I saw one for my contact lenses. I saw they just like all of these go on and on. There's one for Jeremy Boring's 
verified check mark that he doesn't have. There's one for Drew's beard. I mean, there's one for Ben's yarmulke. Just all of these like fun sites. So for OJ, obviously immediately they were just like OJ Simpson's knife, killer OJ, all these OJ things. And allegedly, we don't know for sure, one of these accounts is claiming that OJ Simpson is sending him threatening messages on Twitter DMs. Here is one of those accounts, killer OJ, reading what he says are private messages from the real OJ Simpson account, and he shows it on the screen uh, within a day or two of OJ getting on Twitter. So OJ DMs me again. Okay, look, check this out. It's his actual account. I'm going to click it here in a minute and show you guys. He continues with the other DM. He goes, think I'm playing mother And I go, Sally, nope. Look, if you're a little... Look, if my little Twitter account with 300 followers bugs you that much, then, man, you weak as f Okay, so, I only get 351 followers. This dude's tripping. Uh, seen, your, seen that video you just posted about me, you think I'm playing? Tired of all your bullshit. I will find your ass and cut you. Don't believe me? Just watch and see. And I go, dude... There are other, there are others that literally, literally have more followers than me, and more convincing than mine. Left mass, if you gonna, you gonna cut me? <laughs> awesome, is that what you said to Nicole? And I guess that made him go on a f-ing rage with all knife emojis. And he goes, "You next." He's sending all these threatening tweets. I mean, he, OJ did say in a video, there are these fake sites and we're going to take care of them. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. OJ is a complete maniac who murdered his wife and her friend. The reason this matters is not because he's a, a, a complete wacko maniac murderer, though that, I mean, I guess that's important to the story. It's because the mainstream media, specifically the Washington Post, are trying to draw some grand racial lesson about America's racism out of our rejection of O.J. Simpson. Just to to remind you, just to catch you up in case you missed O.J. the first time around. He got off in the criminal trial. He was acquitted. He lost in the civil trial. So in the civil trial, they found him guilty of the deaths of Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown, his ex-wife. Why did he get off in the criminal trial? It's because of race relations in 1994. It's because at that time, and, and don't take my word for it, a former OJ juror, uh, Carrie Bess, says the reason OJ got off is because in 1992, a black man named Rodney King was beaten by the LAPD, and the cops who beat him got acquitted, and this was racial payback for that. That's what the o- former OJ juror said. That's how it was covered at the time. He lost the civil trial in 1997 because he obviously murdered his wife and her friend. And again, don't take my word for it. He actually admitted this in 2006. He wrote a book called If I Did It, in which he discusses how he hypothetically would have killed his wife and her friend. And then he did an interview on Fox, which never aired because there was a lot of blowback and and they thought it would be too too hot to air for viewers. Uh, But it finally leaked last year in which OJ admits what he did. Here he is. And uh, this guy kind of got into a karate thing. And I said, well, you think you can kick my and I remember I grabbed a knife. I do remember that portion, taking a knife from Charlie. And to be honest, after that, I don't remember. Except I'm standing there and there's all kind of stuff around. And um, um, What kind of stuff? Blood and stuff around. You know, we, you know, I hate to say this, but this is not even that. 
Okay, so he's a complete wacko, remorseless, psychopath murderer, right? Obviously, he's, he's, ad, he's actually admitted it. What does the Washington Post draw from this lesson? This is the headline they ran, a guy named Philip Cunningham. Quote, 25 years ago, O.J. Simpson showed white Americans just how conditional their comfort with black athletes was. The condition apparently was that you not murder your wife and her friend. That's the condition. So he goes on, he talks about the famous car chase in the, in the white Bronco where OJ Simpson was driving away from the authorities. And he writes, quote, the car chase coming in the middle of the fifth game of the NBA finals cast a brief pall on what had been a watershed moment for black athletes. To suggest that Simpson overshadowed a decade's worth of goodwill toward black athletes would be an overstatement. But Simpson, arguably a major source of this goodwill, certainly made clear the conditions that white Americans put on their goodwill, even as the nation's greatest black athletes continued to thrill and amaze. The conditions. Don't kill your wife. He goes on, uh, quote, in the 1960s, the general perception of black athletes had been that they were too uh, too political. In the 1970s, it was that they were too selfish and flamboyant. The 1980s, though, would prove to be a boon for black athletes willing to cultivate goodwill among white audiences. This growth was spurred by Michael Jordan. As the NBA fought to salvage its tarnished reputation, it positioned Jordan as a hardworking, naturally gifted, and family-oriented athlete, while Nike and his other sponsors presented him as a man actually capable of flying. So let's just assume the premise is true, that in the 60s, um, um, white America viewed black athletes as too political, and in the 70s, as too flamboyant and selfish. Even if this premise is true, certainly it makes sense that people prefer hardworking, family-oriented athletes to showboaters and anti-American political activists who are protesting American soldiers and American troops. This isn't a black or a white thing. That's just an American thing. Of course, we would prefer athletes who seem like good people and who are well-adjusted and who are good athletes to people who openly talk about how they hate the country or how they're showboating and selfish. True across the board, not racial thing. Then it goes on, quote, the means by which Simpson won over America are antiquated, especially in an era in which black athletes such as Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James not only have embraced social justice, but also have convinced their leagues and sponsors to do so as well. The means by which Simpson won over America is antiquated. No, it's not. And this is the point. This is what Washington Post wants to say. They say, yeah, they turned on OJ. OJ thought he, OJ famously said, they asked him why he wasn't involved in more racial and black causes. He said, I'm not black, I'm OJ. It's a beautiful statement. He said, I'm, I'm an American. I'm my own man. I'm not just going to be pigeonholed into whatever little racial group or political group you want to put me. I'm bigger than that. And what the Washington Post wants to say is, see, and they turned on OJ. That's why the only way, the only way that black athletes can behave now is by embracing radical leftist politics like Colin Kaepernick. That's the only way. No, it isn't the only way. You can be hardworking. You can be family oriented. You can be pro-America. You can just focus on athletes and not spat your mouth out on, on politics. And America will embrace you so long as you don't murder your wife and her friend. That's the conclusion. This is one of the stupidest pieces I've seen in the Washington Post in a long time, which is obviously saying quite a lot. But that's where we are. A lot more to get to today, but unfortunately, we don't have time. So we'll get to it tomorrow. We'll get to, I'll tease it. Alex Jones is now being accused of having kitty porn in emails that he sent to the lawyers of Sandy Hook victims' parents. Can't make this stuff up. We will (laughs) get to that story tomorrow, though. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you then. 
The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Dylan Case. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera, and our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, President Trump promises to deport millions of illegal immigrants. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show.